1: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: This is the Court Today replay on C103.
3: As we welcome you along to the programme, literally I'm just seeing some breaking uh, news. Uh, just as Barry was coming to the end of his news bulletin, this is breaking out of the UK. It's the UK's highest court. It's ruled that Scotland cannot hold a second independence referendum without the approval from the British government. A panel of five judges have delivered their decision this morning and of course this case was, the reason that this case was brought to the court was that the Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon she had set out plans to hold a second referendum on independence and she was hoping to hold it on the 19th of October next year and she along with the rest of the Scottish government have told they can't hold that referendum without approval from the British government so that's just um, as I say a breaking news story. Uh, text messages are open at 0862 103, 103 and can I just update you on uh, another news story that we were carrying this morning on our new services with Barry and this is the claim's that West Cork the the only driving test centre in West Cork which is in Skibbereen, there was rumours going around that that was permanently going to close and it was going to close in the coming weeks. Now we got to hear about it here on the programme yesterday so rather than run with it we decided we'd get on to the Road Safety Authority because the Road Safety Authority are the body who are officially responsible for driving test centres so we wanted to find out exactly what was going on here because there had been rumours before that the Skibbereen Test Centre was going to close, and I remember it caused a lot of distress and anger by people in West Cork because it would mean, of course, if the test centre in Skibbereen closed, anyone in West Cork who needed to do their driving test, would then have to go to the nearest test test centre, would be Cork City. And uh, people were really not happy about that. So it had been rumoured before. And again, the rumours were squashed and they said no, the test centre was going to remain open. So when we started to hear about it here earlier in the week, we said we would look into it. Well, I I can tell you that the Road Safety Authority got back to us uh, to s- confirm that there's absolutely no truth in any of the rumours. They are denying the claims and they say in their statement, the Road Safety Authority can confirm there's absolutely no truth to l- the number of local public representatives work fearful that it was going to close. The RSA will continue, they say, to service the Skibbereen Driving Test Centre either via staff headquarters in Skibbereen are from resources based elsewhere, such as uh, Cork City, as demand requires. Because I think what, what was what was been spoken about was that testers were forced to come from Cork to Skibbereen when they didn't have enough testers based at the Skibbereen headquarters. And what was happening was testers were coming down from Cork and it was spoken about that they weren't getting mileage to tra- to travel from Cork down to Skibbereen. So for that reason, some of the testers obviously were going to refuse to be rostered in Skibbereen unless they got mileage for going to and from work. And because of that then, rumours started to flow that the test centre in Skibbereen was going to close but just to confirm that we have it from the horse's mouth which is the road safety authority and they are categorically denying that there are any plans uh, to close the test centre in uh, Skibbereen but it would be interesting to see about the mileage and uh, are they paying mileage to the testers that have to come from uh, Cork City and if they're not could that be a problem going forward? Because I can see so many public representatives across West Cork getting, were getting very annoyed and very upset about the possible wind down of the test centre in West Cork. But just for anybody listening who's uh, planning on doing a driving test or will be doing a driving test in the coming weeks, you don't need to panic. The test centre is going to uh, remain open. Now, we did also get a response, by the way, and I didn't get to this yesterday. This is to do with the COP27 and the number of Irish delegates who went to Shaman Sheikh in Egypt for, as part of the COP. Cop 27, And people were rather annoyed when we were speaking on this programme with uh, West Corkdale Deputy Michael Collins. He was taken aback when he heard that as many as 55 delegates were going from Ireland. He was talking about the carbon footprint and uh, we didn't even get into the cost side of it. But just the carbon footprint, they're going out to talk about climate change. And here are all these people going on uh, jets and something like 400 jets in total, not out of Ireland, but from all over the world, went to Egypt part of uh, COP27 and just just think of the environmental impact of that. Anyway, what we decided to do was we would get on to the Department of the Environment Climate and Communications because people were asking, who are the 55 people who have gone along with the Environment Minister Eamon Ryan. Well, they've come back and said that it wasn't 55, it was actually 54, <laughs> so we had one too many. So they did confirm that 54 personnel went and they consisted of Minister Eamon Ryan. obviously he is the Minister for the Environment climate and communication, so you would be expecting him to travel. Now, he travelled with 11 representatives from his department. He also, and that included two advisors along with a wider delegation. Now, who was in the wider delegation? The wider delegation included the Taoiseach and officials from his department, the Minister of Foreign Affairs and officials from his department and representatives from the Department of Finance, the Department of Health, the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. It also included representatives from relevant state bodies and agencies. That included personnel from the Environmental Protection Agency. It included personnel from metairn It included personnel from the Susti- Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. And the delegation, by the way, also included officials from the Irish Embassy in Egypt who were already based in the country. So I don't know of the 54 who attended and made up the Irish delegation. They don't state how many of them were officials from the Irish Embassy who would have been already based in the country and therefore wouldn't have had to fly to Egypt because they're already there. I have no idea on the costs because it's always a number of weeks after any of these events take place that there eventually will be a statement issuing how much did it cost in total between flights hotels, meals, other expenses that would have been incurred while going to the event and also while at the event. But no doubt in the coming weeks, we'll get to hear exactly how much it cost. But that's anyway, that's the, the list of... People and the different, well, they don't list the people, but uh, they're the different representatives who made up that Irish delegation, 54 people in total who went to uh, Egypt. And thank you to the listener yesterday who contacted us. This was following my chat with Antoinette, that uh, lovely mother from Cove, who was talking about her daughter, Katie, who she is fundraising for through a GoFundMe page. She needs to get Katie to Poland. To be examined by an American doctor who's based in Florida, but he has an outreach clinic in Poland. And uh, she needs to bring Katie over because uh, Katie uh, was born with cerebral palsy. She's already had spinal. She's already had uh, surgery done, which was done in, in Missouri a number of years ago. But now she's discovered she's a problem with her hip and she needs to have surgery on her hip. She can't get it done in this country. This doctor from the States is willing to do it, but he needs to obviously examine Katie uh, first. So they're going on they this the 5th of December. They're flying to uh, Poland. And uh, Antoinette yesterday it was just outlining you know, how tough it is as a mother of to watch a child in pain I think was the one that really got to me and you'll go to any lengths to take your child's pain away and if that means fundraising to put Katie on a plane, to bring her to Poland, to have her assessed and hopefully this doctor will agree to do the operation she needs to get her out of pain. So we were going through all of that yesterday and then a listener contacted us to say would it be possible that Antoinette and her family could apply for funding under the HSC uh, cross-border Initiative, same initiative that people use, you know, to go up north to get the cataract operations done the, the Belfast or blind bus that regularly travels out of West Cork, that particular scheme and of course that particular scheme covers any other European country where you can go to and you go private, you get whatever treatment that is deemed necessary, if you can get it in any of the other European countries, what happens is you pay up front and then you come back and you claim it back from the HSE and there's a lot of people have, have been doing it and have been, have gone for very successful operations and one listener contacted us because her son had gone for what was called ACI repair and it's to do with cartilage damage and it's to do with cartilage uh, repair and I had never heard of this ACI repair so I had to do some some googling in the middle of the programme to find out what the surgery was. Well that particular mother was back just to explain to us more about what happened with her son. Her son is uh, 14 and he had to have his he he had damaged his cruciate ligament, that which is at the back of the knee. Now, she says in a follow up text that the injury happened to him in the middle of August of this year. Now they obviously were referred to their local hospital. But they're still waiting to get an appointment for a consultant. And up to yesterday, he was seven weeks post-surgery, thanks to the family deciding, we're not sitting around, we're not waiting. And they made the decision instead to go to Spain for the surgery. Now, they had to borrow and pay €7,500 to cover the cost of the treatment in Spain but they get 100% of it back from the HSE so they said that it was uh, worth it and that the the HSE cross-border d- directive which covers all of that is well worth looking into. Unfortunately, as I explained yesterday that's of no use to Antoinette because Antoinette is dealing with an American surgeon and and he just who just happens to have an outreach clinic in Poland if it was a Polish doctor was actually doing it in a private Polish clinic then she would be able to look under that cross-border directive but unfortunately her only option now is fundraising but thank you to that listener for pointing it out but it just struck me when I was reading the follow-up text that you know there it happened in in August he that 14 year old boy would still be at home in a lot of pain I imagine waiting to get that procedure done and he still hasn't been called yet uh, for, for just to go see the consultant Who will make the decision then as to when. And I'm assuming you go see the consultant and then you get put get put on a waiting list for the treatment. So if that listener hopefully is still listening to us this morning, let us know when you do finally get the call from the consultant. I'll be interested to see how long you're actually waiting. But of course, we know waiting lists for all types of procedures, those waiting lists are getting longer and longer and longer. And unfortunately, a number of children a large number of children are on many of those waiting lists. Texts coming in hot and heavy particularly on WhatsApp keep them coming 0862 103, 103 Heidi says Morning Patricia this is on Eamon Ryan the Minister for the Environment and the 54 delegates who went to Egypt I feel says Heidi that Eamon Ryan is a hypocrite his attitude is, is don't do as I do do as I tell you I have no time for him at all we need to remember when it comes to voting certainly in West Cork it's Independent Doll Deputy Michael Collins, that is the guy working for us, and then staying on West Cork and that story of the possible the rumours that went around there was going to be the closure of the driving test centre in Skibbereen. Michael in Castleton Bear says the driving test centre in Skibbereen and its closure was never on the cards. It's only been political gossip. However, to add to the gossip that all of West Cork would have to go to Cork City is more rubbish. Remember, there's a centre in McCroom, Furthermore, a lot of West Cork people will go to Killarney to do their test so forget it, it's all just idle gossip. We've checked, there isn't a driving test centre in Macroom, but you are right there is of course one in Killarney and there's one in Tralee uh, as well so there are other options, you're right Michael outside of uh, Cork City for people if it was to close but the RSA adamant that it is not closing and can anybody help out Mary in North Cork please She's looking for the telephone number for renewing her driving licence at the NDLS centre in Mallow. The number that she has been given or the number that they have given her is no longer in use. She can't get through. Does anybody have a more up-to-date number for the NDLS centre in Mallow? 0818
2: 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan
0: Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health Insurance C-M-I-G dot I-E
3: Chief Medical Officer has warned parents not to ask grandparents or indeed any older person to look after children who have any type of respiratory illness. And this is due to a record number of reported cases of RSV. To discuss more about this virus, I'm joined by uh, Dr. John Sheen, who, of course, is a former Lord Mayor of Cork City. Good morning to you, John. Morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome. I suppose let's start at the beginning. What is this virus that everyone is talking about? Uh,
4: RSV is a respiratory syncytial virus, Patricia. And it's a virus that causes kind of like flu symptoms, really, But its big issue is that it tends to affect younger people um, the most. So usually children under four, they present with cough, temperature, um, sore throat, they get quite miserable, they get lots of secretions. And the problem with it is it affects the lower airways quite a lot. So when they're small, when they're babies and toddlers, their airways tend to get blocked up quite a lot. And then they, you know, they have difficulty feeding and breathing and things like that. So... It happens every year around this time, but the the issue is that this year the number of cases is nearly double what we would normally expect, and that's probably for a couple of reasons, Patricia. First of all, we've had quite mild weather up to recently, and Ireland is kind of a perfect uh, climate for 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 bugs. It's not too cold, it's 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 moist, there's rain, and um, we're all congregating together. It tends to to spread in that in that environment. And then the second reason is because of the COVID situation over the last couple of years, children haven't really been exposed to many bugs due to masks and isolation and, and, and things like that. So now we're getting a double whammy where their their, their immune system isn't built up to the RSV virus. And um, so therefore, the number of cases is increasing dramatically. And if you look at the, the children's wards in the hospital at the moment, Um, an awful lot of their cases and a lot of their admissions are due to um, RSV infection. So so, so,
3: so some children and babies can become quite unwell with this virus?
4: Oh they really can because what happens is their small airways get quite um, blocked up um, and then they can't. They have difficulty breathing. They have difficulty feeding. They can get quite sick with it. For most children, particularly the children who are a little bit older, three and four, they're sick. They're miserable. They're at home for a few days. But for smaller children, they they really can get quite sick, and 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 they have to admit it for IV fluids or oxygen or or, or, or other treatments. And that's the difficulty um, with it. And the other problem then, and this is why the chief medical officer um, gave this morning, is the two groups that tend to affect Patricia are are young children under four and older people where they get a flu-like illness and they can get quite sick. And obviously, if you're elderly and if you're vulnerable, and if you get this, then you also can be um, um, quite sick. And the flu vaccine doesn't protect you against this uh, virus.
3: Yeah, because I was only I mean, reading media reports today saying that you know, the more than 6 in 10 of the recorded cases of this RSV uh, has, have been diagnosed in children under the age of uh, 4. And I take it because of the smallies and the way they interact with each other and the way they play with each other. You can imagine like in a crash setting, they pass it on easier to each other. I take it, do they? They're in close they contact. They do. It, yeah.
4: it, it is. It's, it's quite contagious. It's spread by coughing, and obviously yeah. for you're small, you're going to cough. Um, you, there's nothing they can do about that. So it tends to spread in, in schools and play schools, crashes quite quite easily. And then you're you're right. You have the difficulty for a lot of grandparents that they're they're, they're they're minding their grandchildren. Yeah. They're quite involved in their family, which is great. But if you're vulnerable, and I, um, I suppose you just have to be a little bit cautious of that. You have to be practical as well. But all the things we were doing during COVID help with RSV, such as the hand washing, the masks. You know, being if someone has has a lot of symptoms, staying away from vulnerable people, all those sort of things. Yeah, really, and that's really matter. And,
3: and that's exactly what we did during COVID times. So really, while this RSV is doing the rounds at the moment, it almost treated like it was COVID.
4: Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 like we didn't see any RSV or any flu during COVID because of all the precautions and, and the isolation. So we're kind of getting a bit of a double whammy of this now at the moment. Now, this will will, 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 will will go, but people do get quite sick, and particularly small babies, that's the difficulty. You know, their their lungs are small, they get lots of secretions, they have difficulty clearing it, they have temperature, they're not feeding, they get quite sick and quite miserable um, with it, and that's, that's the problem.
3: So the general advice, if you have a E with any kind of coughs or colds or any kind of flu-like symptoms, try to keep them away for that period of time from from older people and maybe revert back to mask wearing if you do need to be around an older person.
4: Yeah and, and, and it, it does no harm like if you go into healthcare settings now everyone's still wearing a yeah, mask yeah. Um, you know, and that's really just to reduce down passing on infections and the spread of infections so if you're going to your you know, older people or someone who's maybe vulnerable maybe wear a mask you know, just a little bit of caution just for a while all you're doing is just try to reduce down the spread of it so that they don't pick it up and that, that they're not sick
3: Okay and the fact that it's a virus I take it antibiotics don't work uh, a number of parents are saying you know, what's the treatment if you do suspect your child has RSV.
4: Unfortunately, there's no real treatment for it at the moment. There's no vaccine at the moment. They're working on it, um, and it's all sort of um, you know temperature, calpol, nurofen, keeping an eye on their feeding. All all of that sort of thing. They generally, what you find is babies particularly, they don't like lying down flat because they feel quite as if they're going to choke. So they they often tend to like sleeping in their seat or in their car seat and things like that, because like any of us, you'd feel more comfortable when when that's Mm. the situation.
3: Okay, All right. And you mentioned flu. Are are you seeing much flu out in the community, um, John? We're seeing a bit but uh,
4: we've had a very good uptake of the flu vaccine Great. So, so 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 that's been very very positive. We haven't seen huge numbers of cases so so so, so, so that's very very positive. Um, it's more young babies really is what we're seeing at the moment in RSV. That's probably the biggest uh, group who are sick at the moment.
3: And what about covid is that still out and about?
4: It's out and above but the big difference that we're noticing Patricia is the COVID vaccines and the boosters have made a huge difference so we're getting people who have COVID now and thankfully most of them aren't that sick they're at home but they're not hospital sick and that's a big difference compared to a few years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay stay safe John and always pleasure to talk to you thank you for that.
4: Thanks Patricia. Thanks for Bye joining
3: now. us that is uh, Cork City and uh, Dr. John Sheen of course also former Lord Mayor. Uh, 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 086 Six, 2 103
2: oh 103 oh Cork today on C103
0: With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk Cmig.ie
3: Court has uh, will be closed for six months early next year with sittings then moving to Fomoy and Cork City while the 1.2 million euro refurbishment work is underway Some are questioning Could the sittings not have been facilitated in another venue in the town of Mallow, cutting down on people having to travel? And Labour Deputy Sean Sherlock is one of those and uh, Sean joins me. Good morning to you, Sean.
5: Good morning, Patricia. Sean,
3: who are you most concerned about here? Who who do you feel will be most discommoded by the Mallow Courthouse closing? I, I
5: think people who are uh, applying for barring orders or safety orders under the Domestic Violence Act 96 are the people who are potentially most affected by this. But notwithstanding the fact that we, you know, we welcome the investment, we recognise the need for refurbishment. But there is a long-established precedent where uh, you deliver district court services within the district and within the town. And in a town like Mallow, uh, you know, you could have. Provided alternative accommodation, you know, for the duration of the refurbishment works in a local hotel, a community hall, you know, Carrigoun Malogia complex. I'm sure would have, you know, uh, you know, measured up uh, nicely and, there and, and if they were upon.
3: Yeah, Caragoon straight away uh, springs to mind because it's got great car parking facilities as well.
5: There's car parking facilities. There are, you know, kitchen, uh, you know, uh, restaurant grade facilities there for you know refreshments it could have facilitated any visiting judges or any established judges the legal profession uh you know the garda you know and and anybody uh who would normally interface with the court services but the, the key point for me really is that the reason i raised this is because it, an impeccable legal source approached me to say that uh mallow was losing the service temporarily and that the service would be moved to cork city Uh, And and I have that on very, very good authority. Uh, But the intervention in the Dáil last week where Niall Collins, the minister, was responding, he stated that, well, no, we're not actually going to move the district court to Cork. It's now going to be moved to Fumoy. And broadly speaking, in relation to, uh, you know, day-to-day hearings, that's fine. That's, That's a compromise. Ideally, I would have liked for it to have remained in Mallow. But the big issue for me is, as I've said at the outset, where, and it is largely women, it's broadly women, where women in the main are applying for a barring order or a safety order, uh, you know, they now, to my knowledge, do not have that service available to them uh, in Mallow. And I'm just worried about that because we are hearing of you know, an increasing number of cases in respect of domestic violence. The minister herself, Minister McEntee, has made particular play in respect of, uh, you know, a big policy announcement around ensuring that uh, we, we curb domestic violence. and We put in place the infrastructure to support people who, who are affected by that. And therefore and if, those
3: sports must be available at local level.
5: Well, they must be available at local level. And if somebody is accessing the court's service or the local court's office, to apply for a temporary barring order, for instance, then, you know, that has to be available within the town or within the district mm. or as near as, as, as and possible do to the you, person.
3: Do you know, did the Department of Justice, did they consider any venues in matter
5: I doubt it. But the funny thing about all of this is that the court service is an independent uh, service. And so they will argue that there is the separation of powers and that it is a matter for the court service to decide how they uh, operate their sittings. And, you know, I accept that. But what I'm seeing is a creeping, slow, incremental, creeping centralization. And centralization in this context is where services in Yawal centralised Cork, services in Mallow centralised Cork. Now, I... I Actually, sorry,
3: that's interesting. How you've made that point because somebody's just sent in a text saying, "Could you ask Sean? Is there any danger that some of these corked sittings could be lost permanently to That I mean, well, it, has that been mentioned?
5: It, it's always the fear, but I'm not populist by nature, and I, I, I wouldn't. I'm not the scaremongering type of politician that you sometimes see uh, on issues like this. But you always are on alert and the role of my role as a TD is to try and ensure that services are retained and supported within the towns that I represent uh, so there is always that fear and I I do believe that there is power in intervening in the doll, where the Minister is forced to answer and I do believe that had there not been an intervention in a very public way, I suspect that the circuit court sittings and the district court sittings would have been centralized to Cork on a on a temporary basis. Uh, but then who knows down the yeah. line to answer your question. Okay, so what yeah,
3: would I know. So at least we know it, it is for Moy while it's it's still going to discommode a lot of people, but I think better for Moy than Cork City. Absolutely. And there's nothing against Cork and City, but it's just for people getting there and that.
5: No, absolutely. And and like let's you know, the, the for my services are, are are excellent services, and they're both along the Blackwater. But the, the people we think about here are the people who live near the Kerry border or on the Limerick. Well, even further
3: to travel, yeah, have even yeah. further to travel. Okay, can I just wait, while I have you on the programme? This was something I spotted in in the paper this morning, and and I saw you quoted in the article by uh, Neve Griffin in the Examiner. This is to do with the Long Covid Clinic for for C U H. That that it's that hasn't still been established independently. It's been run under the people have been treated at the infectious diseases clinic. That's
5: right, and we have to recognise now that there is a condition called long COVID that is broadly expe- accepted by the WHO. It's yeah. broadly accepted, ac- uh, accepted. Excuse me, by medical science and. uh, Again, this all comes down to the people that we deal with as TDs in our constituency offices who are looking for access to services where uh, heretofore very healthy people all of a sudden now struck down with all sorts of symptoms, a whole range of symptoms. The promises were made in respect of a long COVID clinic. And what we're seeing now is this massive uptick in respiratory related illnesses or if I I hope I have the right pronunciation of that, you know, a lot of bronchitis related, respiratory related illnesses. And a COVID, long COVID clinic would deal possibly with a lot of those cases. And we need the services to be available to people at the most local level. So we want to see the establishment of this. And I think what that involves is clinicians, consultants, uh, you know, hospital doctors, GPs, medical scientists, and you create an infrastructure so that if somebody has, is symptomatic, they can be referred into the clinic and, you know, the wide range of their symptoms then can be dealt with and hopefully lead to better patients. But do, uh, patient do we,
3: at this stage, have... Uh, uh, do we know how many people in Cork are affected by long COVID?
5: I, I don't have the figures on, on that per se, but I do know that anecdotally, if, if my office is anything to go by in terms of the people that we are dealing with, and if uh, the emails that I'm receiving from people from from uh, you know a, a large number of places, because normally what happens is that if if there's a big issue like the establishment of long COVID clinics, you will receive emails from all over the country, and we receive emails from all over the country in respect of people who are seeking the recognition of long COVID in a medical sense, so that they. There, are, there is the establishment of these clinics within what we call tertiary care hospitals like CUH so that at least there's a go-to place for that person. And that's vitally important. In the same way as there's a go-to place for orthopedics, for cancer, for heart, you know, cardiac and so on and so forth. It has to be treated with that level of seriousness because what we're finding is, and, and we only have to talk to our neighbours and friends uh, to know this, that the effects of long covid have been debilitating for many people and yeah. we need to have the services to yeah. support them.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And just to go back to the courts for a second, Dennis says, why can't, particularly the women who are going for protection orders, is there any way that they could be facilitated through a virtual court sitting and surely that will be for their own personal safety has that ever been looked at absolutely
5: and what the minister will say actually in fairness to the minister said look that they are trying to invest uh, more in ensuring that uh, they move to an online framework for for services such as that but in my experience uh, there are very many people who to get them to the door of the court office in the first instance is a major leap of courage Uh, And and so, to move them online, there is there are all sorts of worries there on the part of people who may be applying for orders, whereby you know there's the worry of how is my data uh, used? Uh, You know, if it's a court sitting where you know it's online, you know, for because of the sensitivities involved.
3: I know who else else is looking at it? Who's accessing it? Yeah, yeah. Who can have
5: access to it? Is there a danger that? You know, the the information is not protected. There are all sorts of worries there. But I think the first sort of call, you know, people can pick up the phone and and there will be a, a protocol. There is a protocol going to be put in place to ensure that there is a pathway for the person. But there is no substitute for having the services available at your local level where there's an identifiable person across the counter who will specifically help you with your uh, application.
3: Okay, listen, Sean, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Corky's Labour Doll Deputy Sean uh, Sherlock. Don't forget, today we have another super prize to give away thanks to our good friends at the Everyman uh, Panto who have teamed up with the Leisureplex uh, to give families a fun, festive family day out. We will have another... A uh, family of four passed to see Cinderella at the Everyman on Thursday, the 8th of December. But the fun doesn't stop there because the winning family will also receive a, fa- a pa- family pass for four people to go bowling at the Leisureplex on McCurtain Street. Cinderella, a wonderful tale of a girl with a dream and a spell that's broken at midnight. Uh, today, we'll be giving you a clue. To where Cinderella has left her glass slipper today. It'll be a well known Cork location. As we have done across this week, we'll give you the clue. We'll open the text message and the WhatsApp service later on. You've got to give us the answer along with your name and address, and then you go into the hat, and you could be winning a family, of four past a four pass to Cinderella at the everyone. Everyone, but please note they, the tickets are for Thursday, the 8th of December uh, to go along to the Everyman to see Cinderella. But you can, I think the pass for the bowling, I think it's, it's um, valid for six months. So you can pick another day that you want to go at bowling and you can check it all out by going to everymancork.com.
0: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: John Paul has told me that our, my first Christmas song will be scheduled on the programme this Friday okay and I suppose Friday is an important day for Christmas if you have smallies in the house and our big people as well because the toy show is on so it's kind of really the official kicking off of Christmas isn't it and actually talking of the official kicking off of uh, Christmas we know because we discussed it on the programme that Cork City this year opted not to have an official switching on of the lights even though the lights now are on in the city but many of our county towns will be having official switching ons some of them have perhaps already happened but many more of them are, will be happening particularly this weekend so if you're involved with any maybe local chamber of commerce or maybe a business association and you're involved with, you're having something official for the switching on of the lights if you let um, us know here at C103 we'll be only too delighted to give it a mention uh, for you I have had a note in from Mallow uh, Chamber and they're currently running their Light Up Mallow campaign and I think this is the first year ever that the chamber are asking the general public, the people of Mallow to donate and to help pay for the Christmas lights in Town this year. Now the County Council are making a contribution and in the past it's the businesses then that have contributed to pay for the remainder of the Christmas lights but obviously We've had a COVID. We've a huge energy crisis, and businesses really are. Some of them are really, really hard hit, and are struggling as we go into this, to go into this Christmas. So, for that reason, the Chamber are asking householders and people in Mallow, or people who visit Mallow, if you'd like to donate, um, if you could. And they're making the point that even if people do, if every household donated as little as two euro each, they'd cover the costs in no time at all. So they've actually set up an I Donate page, uh, I Donate.ie, Light Up Mallow or you can go to the Light Up Mallow Facebook page for more information they've sw- they, uh, they're switched to LED lights which I think most towns and villages and indeed I know Cork City have done the same they're 75% more cost efficient and the lights also they've opted to put them on at reduced hours to save on energy and uh, costs and the switching on of the Mallow lights will happen this Saturday festivities will begin at 3 with the official switch on at 2 o'clock and I know I would somebody else on uh, Good luck to everybody there in Mallow, Mallow Chamber. I had somebody else on in Mallow saying looking to buy a Christmas tree, a fresh uh, Christmas tree. And there's nothing like the smell of a fresh Christmas tree in your house and somebody wondering are they on sale in the Carmichael Lane car park where they normally are on sale uh, what you're talking about there is the former Sheehan's Greengrocers that unfortunately had to uh, close and, uh, but Tom and uh, Dee who were running Sheehan's uh, Greengrocers every year they used to sell the, the Christmas trees and they're continuing to do it and they're doing it at, outside where the shop was and actually I spotted them yesterday I happened to be in that car park yesterday so the Christmas trees are on sale there if you're in the Mallow area at the Carmichael Lane Car Park uh, where the former Sheehan's uh, Greengrocers were. Grocers We mentioned Long Covid and the fact that I can't believe that the Long Covid clinic, I thought it was up and running in CUH. It's not. They are treating patients of Long Covid but not at a dedicated Long Covid clinic. Somebody said, Patricia, did I read somewhere that the only Long Covid clinic in some hospital in Dublin was closing uh, because they couldn't get the additional funding. Yeah, you're talking about the Martyr Hospital. That was the first and, and and I, I don't know if it's still the only, but it was certainly the the, the first. COVID clinic and actually for long COVID. And they were basing the work that was being done at the Martyr Hospital, they were basing what was working there for the long COVID patients in order to set up the other clinics. Yeah. And they, they but they didn't have official funding for it. And then when they went to look for the official funding, they weren't given it. So, yeah. So they, they were, don't know if it has closed, but they certainly were to close it in the Martyr Hospital, which was, come here, making absolutely no sense at all uh, to me. And then when I mentioned that we had got a response from the Department of the Environment, Climate and Communications on the Irish delegation who went to Egypt, the 54 hardy souls that went to Sharm el-Sheikh for COP27. And I listed out all the various different agencies and various different departments who sent people as part of the delegation. John said, I thought it was rather ironic of you, Patricia, when you were speaking about Eamon Ryan, the Minister for the Environment and all the other people that went to COP27 and then you went from that piece into talking about that mum, Antoinette, who joined you yesterday, who's been forced to travel to Poland to get her daughter, Katie the life-changing surgery that she needs. And in order to do that, she has to fundraise uh, because our state won't pay for the surgery. It, it Just to me, says John, he felt it was kind of an ironic piece and it shows up the injustice that's in this country that they can have money to send a delegation to COP27. And listen, nobody's taken from the importance of COP27, but yet you've got you know a family here, one of our own, having to fundraise uh, to get her child on a plane to see a surgeon in Poland. Uh, just staying on COP, maybe Eamon Ryan should have stayed at home from COP27. The gravy train never seems to stop running when it comes to our politicians. And Dan said, did Eamon Ryan not consider going on his bike? <laughs> no, <laughs> he didn't, <laughs> uh, Dan. Oh eight one eight one oh three one oh three. Now, Dennis in Castle Magner uh, wants to bring up about the World Cup. And uh, Dennis contacted us and he said we see all those guys in the Premier League over the years uh, and over the last number of years who took the knee you know, for the Black Lives Matter uh, campaign but when it comes to the World Cup they wouldn't wear an armband as they were fearful of getting a yellow card. I feel this World Cup is covered in blood and as far as I'm concerned the players are absolutely gutless and somebody else was on saying how proud they were of our own Roy Keane When it came to the World Cup and it is Roy Keane actually is coming out as a hero of human rights by roundly condemning the hosting of the World Cup by uh, Qatar. The former Irish Manchester United legend he was speaking it was ahead of the Argentina Saudi Arabia clash that had an unbelievable result I have to say for Saudi Arabia. But anyway it was a piece they were doing to camera and it was Roy Keane and Graeme Souness. They were asked about Qatar and they were asked about the World Cup being held in Doha, bearing in mind that this is a country that has a terrible record of human rights when it comes to the LGBT plus community. They have what they do to women and don't get me started on the migrant workers and they reckon now over 6,000 migrant workers have died in the building of all the stadia for the World Cup. So both Graham Souness and Roy Keane were both unequivocal in their condemnation. Uh, Graeme Souness says they will be praying that the football provides a good tournament and they'll be talking about that going forward. But I'm afraid, he says, there are so many activists out there that they will forever be talking about Qatar and their human rights record. He said that's a fact of life. They have to deal with this. And Graeme Souness says, but having a World Cup here, they have a chance to put certain things right but they're not going to put everything right. We don't live in a perfect world. And then f- on the back of that, on the back of Graham Souness, this is what our own Roy Keane had to say. The World Cup shouldn't be here. It shouldn't be here. It's been mentioned there with the people there about
6: the corruption regarding FIFA. we have got a country the way they treat migrant workers, gay people. And that's got to be, I think it's great that it's been brought up. They shouldn't have to work properly. here can't treat people like that we all love football we all love soccer we're not about spreading the game but just to dismiss human rights flippantly that because of a football tournament it's not right you shouldn't be here there's so much money involved there will be corruption but let's get back to basics We've got to treat people with decency we should start and
5: finish with that okay
7: thank you guys yeah can right. i just say be-
5: we're not perfect as well in our
4: history we're not perfect you know, the British have not been perfect in many different parts of the world, and including in Royston, We've been far from perfect.
3: Go on, Graham Souness. <laughs> that was Graham Souness coming in at the end, saying, you know, that Britain have got to look at their own history uh, as well. Anyway, as I say, Roy Keane has become uh, a real sort of a hero when it comes to human rights because he was so strong. I mean, four times in that short of the clip, he said that they should not be playing uh, here in the World Cup should not be here in uh, in Doha and and I know Roy Keane had already said and was quite, came out quite strongly as well that he felt that the England captain Harry Kane should have worn the One Love armband which he was planning on wearing despite the FIFA warnings and he said even if he'd come out and war- worn it on the first day and got the yellow card uh, and then he could have dropped it after that but he was and and I do and and I'll be interested to hear from Harry Kane and I suppose we won't get to hear his views until after the World Cup is finished but he was quite adamant that he was going to wear that uh, armband but then of course the decision was taken away from him and there was other European captains of other European teams were going to do it as well but then they they all had to come together and say no because their actual football associations were fearful that that would end their World Cup uh, if it happened. 0818 103 103 but Graeme soon is saying you know that the Britain need to look at their own history as well. Uh, You can't just point all the finger of blame at at Doha. Somebody else, when I mentioned breaking news that broke this morning just at the top of the programme and that was that the UK's highest court has ruled that Scotland can't hold a second independent referendum. Well, they can't do it without the approval of the British government. Somebody says, uh, morning Patricia, it's only at times like this that you really see the cheek of England and the English government telling Scotland what they can and can't do. I couldn't believe it. Well, I heard you read that out this morning. And Well, in in fairness, you can't blame the British government on this one. It's the judges are stating that Scotland are going to have to go to the British government now. And I'm assuming that that's what Scotland will do. And then we're going to have to wait to see, will the British government then give the approval? Now, if they don't give the approval and if they say to Scotland, no, you're not allowed to have... A second referendum on independence, then absolutely they will have some cheek to have said that. And somebody else says, Patricia, now that the CCPC, this is the consumer watchdog, has done a complete and comprehensive review into the fuel price gouging and have said that it wasn't there and it didn't happen. Can we all please now shut up about filling stations running a money-making racket because it simply isn't true. And I don't know if that is somebody who owns a filling station or somebody who's close to somebody that owns a filling station, but somebody rather annoyed that filling stations always seems to get blamed when the price of uh, fuel goes up. And in fairness, I am always saying to people... You know when they give out about a particular garage, and a garage across the road can have a cheaper, or a garage who supplies the same make of petrol and diesel down the road is cheaper. The price is set on the day that the diesel and the petrol comes into the garage, and and the garage owners will say they can't do any more about it and over the years I've spoken with so many petrol and garage owners who have told me that they make more money out of you going in and buying your cup of coffee or your cup of hot chocolate or your cup of tea or whatever you're having yourself they'll make more of a profit on that than they will on the petrol that you put into your car and just staying on diesel and petrol Catherine said just to let you know and to send you a picture of diesel and petrol prices at Dano in Spy Glen in Mallow very good and they're always very competitive. And they have unleaded petrol at 169.9 and diesel at 188.9. So, yeah, it certainly is coming down. And I saw a press release from the AA on their latest fuel prices. You know, they do a monthly one and they're saying yeah, it's starting to come down. Oh, we can just keep our fingers crossed that it continues in the downward trajectory rather than going up as it has been over the last year. 0818 103,
2: 103. C103 Jobs. With the new
0: Charleville Nursing Home. Find their current available positions at molumhealthcare.com forward slash careers.
3: Industrial electricians, they are wanted for an immediate start it's with a Cork Electrical Company. The number to call is 87 1650527 Jones Agri. They're based in Ballydesmond. They're looking for general operative with a knowledge of welding. It's for duties that would include tyre fitting, hydraulic hose assembly, loading and unloading of deliveries. Matthews, you contact 87 2946 881 molan healthcare they're recruiting for their new nursing home which is due to open shortly in charleville now recruitment days are going to be held on monday and tuesday of next week from 10 a.m to 6:30 p.m each day in the charleville park hotel to check out what jobs are will be available you can visit molenhealthcare.com or you can email recruitment at molinhealthcare.com. And Avonmore Electrical, they're in need of a fitter mechanical technician. Email breed at avonmore-electrical.com. You'll find all the details of those job vacancies and more job opportunities by going online. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Court
2: today on C103. With
0: Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie
3: Now new research by the Economic and Social Research Institute found that in the last 10 years the percentage of 9 year olds with their own mobile phone has jumped from 44% to 54%. To discuss the report which looks at how 9 year olds lives have changed in recent times i'm joined by professor emer smith who's author of this esri report good morning chi emer good morning and you're very welcome to the program um, if nine year olds are spending more time on their own mobile phone does that mean then less time playing sports less time out and about with their friends or getting involved in other out of school activities
8: well we find that those who have their own mobile phones are less involved in cultural activities like music and drama lessons. And they're also less likely to read for fun. But uh, it doesn't make a difference for sport, but screen time does make a difference for sport. So people are spending, if children are spending longer on their computers, laptops, phones or whatever, or even watching television, they're less likely to engage in sport. But that doesn't fully explain the shift we see over time in, in sports involvement.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, there's always been a lot of focus on what children are looking at and what they're doing on their phones and their mobile devices. And we need to protect them. And, and that's un- understandable. But I think what you what your report is showing, it's the it's how long they're spending on it.
8: Yes, that does seem to be the factor. Yeah. that That, you know, those who are kind of spending really long hours are less likely to be doing other things and other things that are kind of good for their broader development.
3: And you look at relationships with family and uh, friends. I noted in the report that eating together as a family, everybody sitting around the table and perhaps having, having dinner or lunch, that's on the decrease.
8: It, is, it has decreased slightly, but still two thirds of families are doing it every day. So there is a difference there. And Actually, interestingly, it's the more advantaged groups that are less likely to eat together as a family, possibly because parents are, are working longer hours and children are involved in more out of school activities.
3: And, and we know, um, sadly, that many families are, are struggling with the cost of, of living. What The family finances, does that affect children and how does that affect children?
8: It, it does affect children and it actually affects the relationships between parents and children. So if we find that a family is under financial strain, so if they're having difficulty or great difficulty making ends meet, that, you know, that that's kind of a basis for more conflict between parents. And we also find that children in those circumstances tend to have smaller friendship groups. So So what they can do is kind of, if you like, being constrained by financial pressure. And the younger cohort we looked at, um, they were actually born on the cusp of the Great Recession. So they would have spent uh, many of their early years in a period where some families were under great financial stress and also where austerity measures meant that there were some cutbacks in services.
3: What about gender differences between the little boys and the little girls? What, what, what did yeah. you notice there with nine year olds?
8: Their worlds are, are very gendered. Um, we find there's differences across the board. Girls tend to be closer to their parents. They're less likely to have conflict with their parents, but they have smaller friendship groups and and they see their friends a little bit less often than boys. There's quite a gap around sports participation. It's much lower amongst girls and boys, even at that early age. But girls are more likely then to read read for fun and to engage in cultural activities. And they're less likely to spend as much time on digital uh, devices. We see that those changes are really persistent over time. The only thing we see a shift in is is that attitudes to maths, um, gender differences and attitudes to maths have got a little bit bigger over time, which is concerning.
3: What, more boys than girls, more girls than boys? Yeah,
8: boys are are more likely to, to say they always like maths, but the gap has got a little bit bigger over time.
3: So that's, that, that's certainly something that needs to be looked at. And I suppose when, yes. you, when you issued this report this week, uh, Emer, uh, many, many of the media uh, reports uh, were highlighting the, uh, the fact that the children are uh, reading less. And that was the one, that, the thing that jumped out for me. Um, and it worried and saddened me because for me, the greatest gift a parent can give to a child is a love of reading. W- would you agree? Yes,
8: I would agree. Um, we actually see that sort of the graduate family, so where parents have degree. Degrees that kind of reading is holding up, but for the other groups, it's kind of fallen off a bit, and that would be concerning because we know that kind of you know reading outside school does help within school achievement, but it's also a part of broader cultural development and engagement with kind of the world of creativity, the world of, of knowledge.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm a big a big advocate to get kids into reading, and we're coming up to yes. Christmas, and I'm always suggesting books books. are a terrific yep. present to, uh, to yep. give to children and, and, and instilling kids uh, that love of it. Uh, and a rise in the percentage of children who like school. We can take comfort from that.
8: Yes. Yeah, that, that's positive. Um, uh, children, you know, about a third of children always like school and the, most of their major sometimes like it, which is, is, is kind of important. And interestingly, even though they're reading a little bit less outside school, they're quite positive about reading as a subject in school.
3: Okay but the the big one really would be would would you be most worried about the sport and trying to get children more engaged in sport.
8: Yeah, we're seeing the biggest the biggest fall there and that data was collected before the pandemic. So it's likely that we'll see further disruption to sports participation but also cultural participation in the wake of the pandemic. So we'd be kind of concerned that those patterns will kind of become a bit solidified if you like mm. and and that would have longer term implications then.
3: Yeah, somebody actually is asking uh, about what, what was what was found out about the effect of the pandemic on, on children. This, this study was 2017 to 2018, isn't it? It's, yes. Yeah,
8: yeah. And we've just followed that younger cohort uh, at the age of 13. We've just finished collecting the data, so we'll have that information early next year. Okay. We did talk to those children. We did a short online survey of the 12-year-olds, as they were, and their, their parents during the pandemic. And we did see kind of that things like disruption to their day-to-day activities, including sports, did have a negative effect on their well-being.
3: Yeah, yeah, that doesn't in any way surprise me. OK, no, listen, we no we we'll look forward to your next report, Emer. in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us thank on the programme. Thank you very much. Good morning you. to Bye. you. That is Professor Emer Smith who is author of that ERSI study that came out uh, earlier, uh, earlier this week about growing up uh, in uh, Ireland. Uh, but more of them on their phones and because of that they're playing and they are reading uh, less. And then when you think of, um, and uh, I know we mentioned it last week and there's a follow-up up on it. Those children in Uganda that have taken up um, hurling and GAA it's just one of those Gorgeous stories. <laughs> when it breaks in the media, it uh, makes you smile. And one of the coaches involved with those Ugandan uh, children, uh, this is one of the coaches that introduced the hurling and the Gaelic uh, football, is saying that the students have been overwhelmed by the Irish response to their project. One of the coaches is um, Moses Ameni, Ameniri, hope i pronounce his, his, his name, and he hit the headlines along with the other coach, Robert, uh, in recent weeks when it, when it emerged that the two friends had—they have no absolutely no Irish connections at all. But they started to teach GAA sports to the school children that they work with. Now, many of the photographs that I saw of the boys and girls out playing hurling and camogie and Gaelic football were actually training in flip-flops. So they made an appeal for what they were looking for was secondhand, pre-loved jerseys and pre-loved helmets and uh, boots and uh, pre-loved pre-loved. Hurleys in particular, because the hurleys that they had made, the only wood that they had access to was mahogany. And you can imagine getting a slap of a hurley made from mahogany. Good God almighty to blow you into next week. And the weight of a hurl made out of mahogany, I imagine, <laughs> must be crazy as well. So anyway, this appeal went out when the, when word came back to Ireland that there was this group of young people involved in hurling and Gaelic football word went out to say you know any clubs can anybody help out and they say they've just been overwhelmed by the response so much so that they've actually set up a GoFundMe page because they've had people contacting them who don't have equipment but would like to support them in some other way so the GoFundMe page has also been set up and the coaches say that they they are they're sports enthusiasts and they actually follow a number of different sports disciplines and they came across hurling and football videos mainly on YouTube, but they also saw saw some hurling videos on TikTok. They said they were fascinated with the speed and skill during playing, especially in hurling and in Gaelic football. They loved the way how the hands are used to kick and pass the ball. They said they love watching the teams in Ireland play because the speed is so unreal. They say hurling is really the fastest game on grass and they're starting out by learning a few skills. They said that when they finally get enough, helmets uh, that they'll work on uh, having full teams of 15 aside because they're obviously trying to keep the young people uh, safe as well so it's one of those those nice news stories so well done. I don't know if any Cork GAA teams got involved or not but seemingly they have been absolutely blown away by the offers of pre-loved jerseys and helmets and boots and hurls that are making their way to uh, Uganda. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking you calls. Court
2: Today on C103
0: With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk. C-M-I-G dot I-E
3: The Donkey Sanctuary which is the latest animal welfare charity in Ireland to warn of the massive impact of cost of living pressures on animals across the country this winter and they Appealing to supporters and to the public to help them out. Joining me is Laura Foster, who is the Donkey Sanctuary's country manager. Good morning to you, Laura.
7: Good morning, Patricia. Uh, always How great.
3: I'm very well. Always great to talk to you. Now, when it comes to care of the animals under your watch, Laura, are you seeing everything go up in price?
7: we're certainly seeing um a lot of the 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 vital kind of supplies um that we need in order to take take care good care of the donkeys are going up so you know our energy prices under you won't be surprised to hear of have really rocketed in in the last few weeks um and and the price of feed as well has has jumped but um I think like most people and like most organisations, the, the the energy costs are the ones that are, you know, having a significant impact um, on our costs at the moment.
3: Yeah, they're crippling so many people. And then owners yeah. of uh, donkeys around the country, do they look to you for help? I'm thinking especially when it comes to, say, the cost of, of feeding, like we've heard, for example, of pet owners of dog, dogs not being able to feed their dogs and mm-hmm. surrendering their dogs would it be similar with donkey owners
7: well it's really interesting because ostensibly you might get an owner or a donkey keeper that approaches you for for help for a particular reason perhaps they just want advice perhaps they're looking to find a good farrier Um, they're looking for a vet who has some donkey expertise Um, or perhaps they are struggling financially um what we would say is that you know for every reason that somebody would come to us there is usually a lot else going on there behind the scenes people are complex um, it's been a really rough two three years for so many people um, so it's 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 actually not as cut and dried to always say that it's down to the cost of feeding I mean donkeys are companion animals um, you know they don't serve a financial purpose for most people um, so uh, they they do fall between the stools, um, but unlike dogs, you know a lot of people would perhaps just put their donkeys out onto grass, which is not always the best thing to do. You you, you we see significant problems with um, with obesity when donkeys have, have have been fed too much pasture, which causes chronic health problems. So you know d- donkeys are complicated. Looking after the after them isn't easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's not always black and white. Um, what we're seeing generally um, is that dependency on our services for a whole range of issues that people might be experiencing is really going up. Um, so we're going out more frequently um, to owners, which we, we would always want to do. We always want people to approach us if they need help, if they need advice. But what we're very conscious of is that we've not even come into the, you know, the peak of our what is typically our winter period. I mean, you and I, this is probably, I think, the third or fourth year in a row that we've spoken um, about, you know, the donkey welfare crisis at winter. What's really concerning us this year is that this scale, it seems to be really ramping up even before we get to that peak winter period. But as you say, we're, we're one of many, many animal welfare charities um, across the country to come out and say, you know, what we are seeing is really, really unprecedented at the moment.
3: Do you think it'll be one of the toughest winters in living memory?
7: Uh, we we do think that that way at the moment. It's, um, you know, we don't want to be alarmist. We we will always be positive and constructive. We'll always do what we can. We have such a fantastic workforce. They, um, you know, they will go to the ends of the earth to, to try and find solutions for, for donkeys and mules. But, um, you know, what we're seeing at the moment is unusual and um, even by our standards. Yeah,
3: I think my memory serves me th- when I last spoke with you earlier on in the year, uh, at some stage during the year, Laura, you were full to capacity. Is,
7: is, is it the same today? Absolutely. Yes. So we we will make space wherever we can for, for the most vulnerable donkeys. So you will have seen if you've seen any of our recent um stories over the last couple of years we would take in mares with foals or pregnant mares um, and we will make space where we can but we have over 1700 donkeys in, a, in in our care wow. um, and we're also managing within that you know about 300 guardian homes so we have really have our hands full and and the problem is is that you know when you see the figures for how many donkeys there are in ireland Those are only really the figures for those donkey, the donkeys that have been accounted for. Most of the donkeys and mules that we will go to in the community that really need rescue or rehoming are not passported, they're not microchipped. So they're off the radar. So, you know, the the, the problem that we have a really disproportionately big problem with donkey welfare in Ireland. Um, Long term, we really need to focus on education. But as you say, in the short term, we have a real capacity issue across our sites um which is why we're so reliant on our partners on on the authorized agencies um on the department on on gardhi on um you know the local authorities and other other ngos to kind of step in and and help out where we can. Uh, And we work very effectively in in partnership with those organisations. But I think all of those organisations would would probably tell you that it's it's becoming quite unmanageable in many cases.
3: Are you finding it hard to get new foster homes?
7: That is a problem. Um, Yes. I mean, look, you know, a lot of people will say to us, it's so difficult to to be able to rehome a donkey from you, you know, and people may seek to 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 get donkeys privately. Um, if they want a very quick you know if they want a very quick answer to you know they want donkeys on their land um what we would say to that is you know that looking after donkeys is not easy they have welfare they have welfare needs and they have infrastructure requirements that a lot of people don't realize until it's too late until their animals become sick and donkeys are terribly stoic so they're, they're not always telling you if they're in pain um so we work really closely and we we welcome anybody that is interested in becoming a guardian home or as you say you know what the guardian home to us really means a foster home we Mm. retain ownership of the animal we take them in if they ever you know are suffering any serious health problems and of course you know if if the guardians want at at some point if their lifestyle means that they can't take care of the, the donkeys anymore we will take them back into our care. And what we're seeing is a lot of those guardian homes are having to return donkeys to us at the moment. So we've had a, a record year of donkeys coming back in from those guardian homes. But also, as you say, we're finding it very difficult to to open homes fast enough um, and and viable homes. So homes that have the right shelter, the right space, you know, and where the, the keepers have the right amount of time and resources to be able to look and after those animals And properly. the knowledge
3: to look after them uh, uh, properly. And Laura, yeah. if a member of the public does see a case of, a, of abandonment or a case of neglect, what's, what's the advice? What should they do?
7: Well, we would. Um, we've got really three three things. Well, two, two main pieces of advice for for people who might be seeing donkeys in crisis, any animal in crisis, for that matter. You know, there are national helplines for reporting animal cruelty or neglect. So you have the Department for Agriculture, Food and the Marines national helpline, which um, you can Google. That's that's available. Um, and the ISPCA also have a national animal cruelty helpline. Um, if if you see an animal in crisis any animal including donkeys phone those lines phone your local guard station try the local authorities because these are organizations that are authorized to enforce the animal welfare act the control of forces act um which in our case covers covers donkeys as well so those are organizations that can step in and enforce the law we are we are not an authorized agency so we are there we will work Often, in these cases where, where rescue and rehoming is, is required, um, but we are there really to help any owners who, needs, who need advice, need support, need to find a new home for their animal if they're really, really struggling. We're there to offer assistance whenever and however we can, um, but it's really important that people do report those real crisis cases to the authorised agencies because they can act in, in emergencies yeah. and as I say enforce Don't law.
3: Please don't leave, leave the animals um, suffer. Okay, outside of no. uh, people giving you donations uh, Laura, how else can people help? I mean I know you always have your, your wonderful uh, Christmas cards, are they on sale? Your calendars, the Adopt a Donkey scheme, are they all available this year? They
7: are yes they are and um, you know we would, would just come down and see us at the moment we're, we're open we're closed on Mondays and Tuesdays but we're open Wednesdays to Sundays down at our our open farm in Liss-Carol. Um We're open the, the full week before Christmas. We're open New Year's Day and the 2nd of January. It's a lovely um, family day out um, for anybody looking for things to do with the little ones over, over the Christmas period. We'd love to see you. We've got all of that, um, all of that merchandise available in our shop. Sure. We have our adoptadonkey.ie. If you go to the website, you know, if you're looking for a present for somebody for Christmas that really you know means they can come and meet their adopted donkey down at our site you know that that money's going directly to helping donkeys not just on our sites but all over ireland um so adopted is where where you could um, get a really good and meaningful christmas gift that would help us but we're also recruiting at the moment so we're looking for People to join our fundraising team. If you go to our website, thedonkeysanctuary.ie, um, you'll see that there's a number of fundraising um, positions there, including we're looking for people to come and work at our open farm, which is, you know, um, a, a wonderful, wonderful job to have. Um, it means you get to spend loads of time with, <laughs> with the donkeys and with the supporters as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, as we, we, we know that times are really hard and it's a big ask to ask anybody to to, to you know find spare money for charities at the moment um so however people can support us we're just incredibly grateful and even if people just help spread the word you know well awareness is very valuable well done uh,
3: well done listen pleasure as always uh, laura have a happy christmas in case i don't speak to you again this side of christmas and all the best to everybody at the wonderful donkey sanctuary in liscar
7: Thank you. Same to you and your listeners, Patricia. Have a good one.
3: Good morning. Bye-bye. That is uh, Laura Foster. Laura is the Donkey Sanctuary's uh, country manager. You're
0: listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: Uh, All this week, we have teamed up with the Everyman Panto, who have also teamed up with the Leisureplex to give you a fun, festive family day out. Every day this week, we are giving away a family pass which allows four people to go along and see Cinderella at the Everyman on Thursday, the 8th of December. But we're also giving you a family of four pass for bowling at the Leisureplex on Curtain Street. Every day this week, we're giving you a clue to where Cinderella has left her glass slipper. And you have to guess the Cork location. So today, Cinderella, where is she? What clue has she given us as to where she has left her glass slipper? It's the most southerly point of Ireland off the Cape Clear coast. That's where you'll find this beacon of light. So it's the beacon of light is what we're looking for. The most southerly point of Ireland off the Cape Clear coast where you'll find this beacon of light. That is where Cinderella has left her glass slipper today. What Cork location are we talking about? If you think you know the answer, it's by WhatsApp and text only please 08621. 103 103 get texting on that 10 minutes and then we will select our winner and you could be going along with your family to see Cinderella at the Everyman on Thursday the 8th of December and also then to go bowling at the Leisureplex on McCurtain Street. And Cinderella, it's a wonderful tale of a girl with a dream, a spell that's broken at midnight, there's a fairy godmother and of course the fact that it's pantomime, it's pantomime in the Everyman, it'll come with a little bit of a modern twist. You can see everymancork.com for more uh, details. So it's the most southerly point of Ireland off the Cape Clear coast where where you will find this beacon of light? That's where Cinderella has left her glass slipper today. Get WhatsApping and texting only, please. 103, 103. And while we are awaiting our winner, there, hold off on any questions that you might have for uh, Peter Dowdle because I don't want them to get lost amidst all the other texts and whatsapps that are uh, coming in but I want to go back to something that we did yesterday came in at the end of the programme yesterday so I didn't get a lot of time on it but we got some reaction to it and this was the mention of the Greens green shield stamps I think it was to do with the Kenwood Chef one of our listeners remembered buying or getting not buying getting a Kenwood Chef and they got it on green shield stamps and I was thinking God how many books of green shield stamps did you need and then of course we we dug into a filing cabinet that we have here because a number of years ago a listener very kindly sent us in when we were talking about green shield stamps somebody sent us in a green shield stamp gift catalogue we were look we spent time yesterday afternoon then looking through it. All of us here at work that were of an age to remember the Green Shield stamps anybody I would say under 40 when we showed them the catalogue hadn't a clue what it was. Uh, One person who remained nameless in the building said is that like the case catalogue? You were able to buy those items and when we tried to explain to her that you had to get the stamps and lick the stamps and stick it in we blew her mind. She had no idea what we were going on about with. And a listener sent in a message saying I remember my mother collecting Delph cups, saucers and plates and we always got them through the Green Shield stamp catalogue. They came in green Green, blue. And pink and yellow so as time went on there'd be various breakages somebody'd break a cup someone else would break the saucer a plate would go we ended up with the complete mixed match sets and I also remember says this listener striped flannelette uh, sheets what fun now that's from Onye I was listening to us in Tipperary so I went straight away to the section where it has all the bed uh, linen and, and it, I, this is where I wish I was on television and you could see some of the pictures do you remember those nylon spreads that you used to to get to put over the beds, and they kind of had the frills down the side, and as somebody here works said, it hid everything that was shoved under the bed, and they were all very bright, crazy floral prints. They have those in there, but the candy striped flannelette sheets made by Green Hills which i'm told is somebody the last time we we spoke of green hill green hill sheets somebody says they are still going strong but the candy striped ones are in this catalog in front of me now in order to get those candy striped Sheets and pillowcases, your your mums and it was really the mammies that did it. Maybe the daddies did it as well, but as more the mothers were collecting the, the, the stamps to get uh, some sheets for single beds, it would have been four and a half books of green shield stamps for the double bed. It would have been six and a half books and they didn't come with the pillows. <laughs> you had to save separately for the pillows. You need two and a half books in order to get a Green Hills pair of the candy striped flannelette uh, sheets and and uh, so we were going through it we spent I spent so long yesterday going through all of the different things that are in the book and I, we, we didn't find a Kenwood chef by the way we found a Krups uh, food mix but there wasn't a Kenwood chef in it but what struck me was and again I don't even know if you can buy these today do you remember carpet sweepers there is one two three four five different carpet sweepers now they range in they were obviously the more expensive down to the cheapest because the top carpet Sweeper 15 and a half books you'd have to collect in green shield stamps. Going down to the cheapest one, you'd need five and a half books, and that was described as it's kind of a mini one, it looks like, but it was ideal for all types of carpets. The only hoovers that they have are stand up ones. I don't know if that's all was, was around. We're trying to work out this book. I'm, I'm imagining, judging by what's on sale in the book and judging by the clothes worn by the people in the book. I'm thinking that this particular catalogue came out sometime in the 70s. And then we're trying to work out when did Greenshield stamps stop? Did it go up into the... Did it actually go into the 80s? Uh, Somebody reckoned it did. I certainly don't remember it in the 80s. I remember it as a child... But I certainly don't remember it into the 80s, but maybe it did. And the good old carriage clock that was in most people's homes uh, is pride of place on the front cover of the of this particular uh, catalogue. And stainless steel soup bowls, they were all the rage back in, in the 70s, along with a tray that you could get to put your stainless steel. Teacup, which I have to say, I have one of those at home myself, and your little milk jug and your sugar bowl. Some of the things you'll you'll probably still have in in your house. Others they'll just bring back memories of childhood. But the the gold carriage clock that was on many a mantelpiece, thirty books they were very expensive, very expensive item indeed. Huge range of pyrex. And again, you'll have people because Pyrex is a kind of an investment. If you have a Pyrex, unless you drop it on the floor and break it, Pyrex last forever. The Pyrex that are in this particular catalogue are the white ones with a floral design on it. There's a red and red and yellow flour on it and they all come with the lids and there's all different sizes of down to one one that you can put a roast chicken inside of but all the different sizes of the Pyrex bowls along with the lids. There's kettles that you, there are electric kettles but there's also the kettles that you'd put on top of the hob they're cheaper obviously than the electric uh, kettles and one that I certainly know my mother would have bought from the Green Shields by saving up her green shield stamps to see how many books she needed for this was the electric carving knife or maybe she didn't get a green shield stamp book because there was 17 books for the electric carving knife and I'm a household that I have an electric carving knife that I have to say hand on heart only comes out at Christmas and I don't know why I only use my electric carving knife at Christmas but it is the only time that I use it and I must have that's probably one of the oldest electrical items that I still have in my house is an electric uh, carving knife and somebody says you know talking about the green shield stamps and bringing back the memories of old in times Martin and from reckons children need to go back and parents need to go back to buying old reliable toys for their children things like trains cowboy outfits guns cowboy hats it's all high tech stuff now And Martin feels they're not of good quality. Martin says, I miss the olden days when everything seems so perfect. The world is going a million miles an hour with everybody trying to catch up. We all need to relax. So I took a look at there was, of course, toys inside in the Green Shield stamp uh, book. So I took took a look at it. Martin, there is the the most plastic looking train set I have ever seen. And it's a wind up. It's a clockwork train uh, set comprising of a locomotive, two trucks, two keys and a track. For four and a half uh, books. And also in there, there's a teddy bear. There's glove puppets. The old box of Legos. and Lego still uh, going strong. A very cheap looking tricycle uh, as well. And of course, the old Reliables Monopoly is in there. That's still going strong. There's one Cindy doll. I don't think you see. Barbie wasn't around. Barbie wasn't in vogue back in the 70s. And there is also a part that looks like, is it an action man? It is. It's an action man. The action man would have cost you five and a half books. And what about the Barbie or the Cindy doll was three books. So the Action Man was more expensive than the, the Cindy uh, book, than the t- to collect, than to buy the Cindy book. As I say, it brought back absolutely great, great memories and what fun we had. And I know John Paul is going to put up some of the pictures onto our social media as well, just to see. It's, a, it's absolutely a generational thing. I reckon anyone under the age of 40 hasn't a clue what you're talking about when you mention Green Shield stamps. So it's got to be people over. 40 and people will have memories of not using them themselves but certainly their mums and dads are using them there is a kind of a dad section in it uh, and I don't know how many men were allowed access to the green shield stamps in order to use it to buy items because there's a couple of fishing rods in there there is there there couldn't be a set of golf clubs there's a golf bag in there They they certainly weren't selling full set of golf clubs but you could get the golf bag and there is a football, and there's a wooden tennis racket in there. And there was some items that the men might might have liked for the garden, right, and some paintbrushes. But it was really more um, the mammies, wasn't it? Again, I'm wrong. maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Let me know. Uh, Teresa says I still have a clock radio that I got from the Green Shield Stamps. And Denise said she loved sticking them into the book for her mum. And that's funny because when I was showing the book to Ken Tobin this morning, and he took photographs in order to show it to his mother. He said he hated licking the stamps if he ever got that uh, job. Uh, Virginia says, yes, my father would get the green shield stamps when he bought petrol for his car. I also loved sticking them in to the book and looking through the catalogue with ma'am and dad and my sisters at what gifts we could get from the stamps. They were happy, happy days. They were. And Sheila says, when you were talking about the green shield stamps, it reminded me of the tally man. Does anybody else remember the Tally Man? He used to have a catalogue and my mother would get stuff from the catalogue and pay a bit every week. I was mad about ice skating when I was about 10, ten and I drove my mother mad to buy me a pair of ice skates. They cost £8.15 shillings, and took her nearly a year to pay off for the ice skates I went off the idea of skating long before the skates were ever paid for I still have them in a box would you believe over 50 years later said Sheila I couldn't bear to pass them down through the family knowing what a sacrifice had been made for me to have them (laughs) and again even all those years ago doesn't it show the lengths that parents will go when a child really really wants something what surprises me Sheila ice skates are you sure it wasn't roller skates I'm just trying to think where did you go ice skating 50 years ago I'm wondering if it's a roller skates you're talking about what incredible to think £8.15 shillings and your poor mother paying off on it for a full year as I say happy happy memories Oh eight one 103 103 we'll close the lines John Paul we'll be on the competition because we've gone over we've gone over 10 minutes so we'll close the lines on our Everyman Panto competition, and uh, we'll let uh, John Paul randomly select our winner today. We'll be winning that terrific uh, prize 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. John Paul's taking the calls. You can text our WhatsApp, particularly now if you want to text our WhatsApp a gardening question for Peter, you can get those into 0862. 103,
2: 103. The C103 Cork Diary.
3: With Cork
0: County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Mallow
3: ICA are having a fashion show. It's on in the social services hall at 7 o'clock tonight. All are very welcome. Cara are making additions to their support services to bereaved parents and they're offering 30-minute Webinars free of a charge. They're hosting them every Thursday evening throughout this the month of November. So there's one on tomorrow night. For more information, you can call 085 288888. 8 Bandon Grammar School are launching their updated cookbook, Food from the Heart. That's happening tomorrow night at 7, and it's in the school's sports hall. And on this coming Friday in the Four Olds pub in Sam's Cross in Clonicilte, they're showing the Late Late Toy Show. And the public are invited to dress up in Christmas PJs. And it's all to raise money for Crumlin Street Children's Hospital. That sounds like it's going to be a fun, fun night. And the Upper Glanmire Community Association, they'll host Lee Mum Wainley in concert in the local community centre this Friday night at eight. Tickets are 20 euro. And they're available from the Boot House Bar.
2: Court today on C103. With
0: Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
3: I can see a flurry of comments coming in on the Green Shield stamps. Let's just see if I got my winner first. Uh, for the competition I do okay Uh, the question was it's the most southerly point of Ireland off the Cape Clear coast where you might find this beacon of light as somebody said it is the absolutely wonderful Fastnet lighthouse was the answer we were looking for so today's winner is down west Corkway it's Dolores Harrington in Irish congratulations to you Dolores you've got A family of four passed to see Cinderella at the Everyman Thursday the 8th of December and a family of four passed for bowling at the Leisure Plex on McCurtain Street in Cork. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Teaming up with the wonderful Everyman, their favourite traditional family panto. It returns this year with Cinderella from Saturday the 3rd of December and you can check out more on everymancork.com for more details. And as I say, we will do it all again tomorrow. OK, some thoughts coming in on the Green Shield stamps. Let me go back to some of the comments. And, and, and my apologies if I miss any of these because they've come in in the middle of the text and the way the texts come up in front of me, it's hard to work out We're trying to find the actual ones that have comments as opposed to people entering the competition. Uh, somebody says, hi, uh, Patricia, the television programme Heartbeat, uh, the they featured green shield stamps they were collected by the character called David in Heartbeat i think that was set in the 60s he was trying to save for a pants a trouser presser says margaret it was very funny if we, yet, yeah, well heartbeat was definitely set in the 60s and somebody else says patricia remind me why where did we get the green shield stamps f- for from how did you actually get the green shield stamps I'm just slightly out of the age group in that I remember my mother getting them. My mother certainly got them when she was shopping in a a small supermarket. Now, this would have been before the days of the big, large supermarket. It would have been the only supermarket in Clamell. It was called Beskos. Nothing at all to do with Tesco. It just happened to be called Beskos. And I remember when she paid for her shopping as she handed over her pounds, shillings and pence. She was given so many green shield stamps and they were literally counted out. So I take it... It was a green shield stamp for every pound at the time that you spent, and somebody else, other people are remembering that the green. Sh- they remember their dads getting the green shield stamps with when they bought petrol. I was going to say diesel. They wouldn't be buying, uh, diesel. They wouldn't be more petrol. And certainly, if you had oil central heating, when you got your tank of oil, you got green shield stamps with those I don't know maybe there was other places giving out green shield stamps as well that others can remind us of somebody else says Patricia does anybody remember the Cavendish catalogue it came in the post says Anya No, no knowledge of that, if anybody remembers that. The Cavendish uh, catalogue. Michael says, Patricia, I clearly remember the green shields and stamps. They were worth their weight in gold. Many the house they helped from the expensive thing down to the ordinary little things that particularly think the housewife might have needed. I remember now Michael says he remembers when you could buy a motor car, actually buy a real car on green shield stamps but he says for the life of me i can't remember the amount of books required it has got to have been an awful lot thousands of them i would assume so michael because one of the dearest items that i could find in this particular catalogue was there was a tumble dryer and there was a front load washing machine and they were a hundred books each so you can pro rata try to work out from there what it would have been to get a car an actual car on the green shield stamps. And then Tess says, Patricia, I uh, sent me on a picture of a digital clock radio uh, where the the time on the clock is, you know, it's lit up. It's like almost like LED, isn't it? The lights uh, on it. And it was a cu- and it says cube. It's a cube clock radio. And Tess says this clock came. Through Green Shield stamps, and I'm assuming it's a clock radio, is it, or maybe it's just a clock? It's got the alarm on it, but th- that came. The test says definitely through Green Shield stamps, and it's still going strong in our house. Thank you for that. Always one ace. 0818 103 103. Now, Martin in Mitchelstown is looking for a bit of help. Does uh, anybody... Oh, no, sorry, this is Martin. There's somebody else looking for help. This is Martin says, does anybody else remember the Golden Goose tickets? You'd buy a ticket and then you would win an item. You could win anything. People won anything from kitchenware. And my mother won a kettle, which was working only up until last year. She also won the blue kitchenware set, which was very popular in many households the golden goose tickets, and he said it was sixpence a ticket. Anybody else remember that? And where did you buy the golden goose tickets? I'm I've I I have no knowledge of that at all, but thank you for your memory, Martin. It might have sparked a memory for somebody else. Alma says there was a Green Shield stamps shop on Washington Street in Cork. Alma remembers going in there with her mother and picking out the items. The shop was located where Fisherman's Wharf is located now at the top of Washington Street towards the Lee Hotel. Yeah and I s- assume for people in the city they could walk to the shop on Washington Street. For people in the county what they remember their mothers doing was you posted in the Green Shield stamps and then you eagerly waited for the postman to arrive with whatever items you had purchased. 0818 103 103 Now we were talking, just moving on we were talking about animal welfare earlier when I was speaking with the donkey sanctuary. That's prompted a listener and, and we'll put this out there to see what others think Ah, uh, talking of animal welfare, um, that I think is in need of help. I live now. All the details I have is I live in the West Cork area, and there's a family with a cockapoo. You know, those beautiful dogs. They're a cross. Actually, my my son and um, daughter and his little family have a cockapoo. Beautiful dogs. They're cross between a cocker spaniel and a and a poodle. They're beautiful, beautiful dogs. Anyway. Uh, this listener is aware of a family with a cockapoo that is chained up outside in all kinds of weather with no means of shelter. The dog was inside in the house until the family had a baby and now the dog has been put out outside. Should I report it and if so, to who? Wow, well, goodness. It's really hard, one, isn't it? I mean, the dog do need, does need to have some kind of shelter, and if you categorically are your stating you're seeing that dog out in all kinds of weather, you can report to the i the ISPCA if if you think in the ISPCA can uh, check it out. I mean, that's the general advice if you think a dog has been neglected. I mean, a dog like that d- does, should and does need to have some kind of uh, shelter. Um, do you think that listener should do something about it and should actually report? 0818 103, 103. Thomas is on line one. We're going back to Greenshield Stamps. Good afternoon, Thomas.
6: Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm
3: not too bad. You, you remember buying an item from the Greenshield Stamps. What did you purchase?
6: I did. A thing It's called a cook lock. You put it onto the steering wheel and you put the other end of it onto the brake in the car. I
3: know as well. I know as well. Do you
6: know what d- I, yeah. I still have it, believe it or believe it or not. And I'm sorry, no, I'm not at home because I'd have gone out to the garage and I'd have taken a photograph and I could have sent it <laughs> on to you. you okay. It. I got that now in 1970. I bought my first car in 1977. So I probably I probably got that in about 78, I'd say. And
3: did you collect the stamps yourself? Or did I, somebody in the I house I collected it. No, I
6: collected it myself. I used to get petrol. I used to get petrol in mines. Yeah. In Blackpool.
3: And awesome. were, and when you when you purchased your petrol, you went in then and they gave you stamps. Was were Shit. they, were they Mr. ever Welch. Mr. Welch? Was he ever very generous in giving you extra stamps? Or would I you can't
6: be? say I can't say that now <laughs> because okay, the well and truly gone noticed it, <laughs> but he was always throwing an extra sheet or two. Did he? Well done. I, I used to go in every week and get my petrol there. He's every a good week. man. And as it happened, uh, Welsh, Welsh was well, his name, in the man. And it was years later I walked with his son, and I, no, his other son, his other son, now as well. As a uh, small, a small world, as I know, uh,
3: I know. But, but the steering it? lock, while you don't use it, but it's, it, it could still be used. It can. I can yeah.
6: still use, I can still yeah. use it if, yeah. I, if I want. Because
3: it's funny, I, I, it I had a young girl on a couple of weeks ago who had it was a Japanese imported car that doesn't yes. come with the immobilisers and her car was stolen and she didn't realise how easy it was to steal those cars and she was Give told us. she was told if she got one of those steering locks and, and, and I remember right. thinking they were all the rage you put it onto the steering wheel and then went down onto one of the pedals and the car then couldn't move if it got That's broken right. into do, 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 do Yeah. they, yeah,
6: they were all the rage yeah, they were the worked. rage at the time and it actually came out that people were always to put it in onto the brake pedal not the clutch pedal because if it broke into the car and what they used to do, they bang down the clutch hard and fast with their with their foot, oh, and yeah. they could break the lock. Yeah. But if you put it onto the brake pedal, you, when you hit the brake pedal, you're pumping the brake, of and course, you're making the brake stronger. Then you see and they couldn't get down the pedal, so a small item like that, like so, you know? and,
3: and, and it worked, and it was of good quality that it's still going strong. Oh, actually, because lots of people are saying that they still have items that they got on the Green Shield stamps. Uh, Ginny says, "I still have an enamel roasting." tin with a lid. I bought it 50 years ago with Ooh. many other items. Happy yes. days saving those stamps. Well, those enamel ah. roasting tins they would last forever. And lots of people they say, did. yeah, you got them with the petrol. Somebody else says on Green Shield Stamps, I grew up in the UK and my mum used to get them from the local Tesco. Yeah, because it was a UK thing as well, the Green Shield Stamps uh, work. All right, it happy was. memories, happy memories. Oh, okay, Simple I times. Love,
6: love your show, Thanks mess. a million, Thomas. God bless. Uh,
3: bye-bye, bye-bye. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three And the Cavendish cat- catalogue that I was unaware of was a furniture catalogue. Uh, somebody says um, I, I'm complete. I was completely unaware of of that. Okay, oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Have you a gardening question for Peter Dowdle You can get those into us now, uh, please. John Paul's taking the calls. You can text her WhatsApp as well to 0862. 103 103.
2: Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's
0: McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk.
2: CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103.
3: Peter Dowd on the Irish Gardener.com uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Chris. how are you? You're, I'm very well and you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Can you start by something that we kicked off, I think, last week when I started. We started talking about Christmas cactus. Um, and by the way, I looked into what you were talking about, the different cactus, the the one for Thanksgiving and the one for Christmas. And I've discovered the two that are in our canteen here at work, because you can tell by the, the by the shape of the leaf of the Christmas cactus, which one it is. One is a... Thanksgiving cactus and the other one is a Christmas one because the Christmas one is spiky. There you go. go.
9: That's why why you have uh, one earlier than the other.
3: That then led to a flurry of texts and calls afterwards and even the following day about taking a cutting and how do you go about growing a cutting and what is the right time of the year to do it?
9: Well, they're very easy to grow from cutting. We had the question last week as well or a couple of weeks ago. And they're, they are very, very straightforward to take from cutting. So th- those swollen leaf leaves, which are modified le- or modified stems, those kind of segments, as we call them, um, it, where they join each other, that's the node in a Christmas cactus. So, so that node is the important bit. That's where the roots are going to develop from. So you want to take a cutting. If the segment is a decent enough size, then one segment would do. But more often than not, you want to use two segments in your cutting. Um the node at the base of the cutting, dip it into a small bit of rooting powder and then half bury, like 50% of that segment needs to go under the soil for stability as much as anything else, Trish, uh, uh And into any decent multi-purpose compost, well-drained multi-purpose compost. Um, and they will root away quite easily if you're doing it indoors you could try doing it now this time of the year I would imagine they'd root away this time of the year they kind of they kind of think that nearly 12 months of the year you could be taking cuttings from them uh, and they root away quite easily so I would give it a go now yeah yeah okay and
3: wait, wait until maybe to take the flowers off if there's flowers on it sorry yes, it if it now, if
9: Yeah. yes sorry if there's flower buds on top of that cutting on top of that one or two segments then yes remove them uh, because you want the energy of that cutting to go into developing roots not into, and not into the flower yeah
3: and, and my tip and, and it works every year keep de- keep deadheading and you can get loads and loads of flowers it,
9: it just keeps coming yeah. and coming and coming yeah the more, the more you deadhead them the more flowers you're going to get a small drop of tomato food or something like that as well yeah. could also help as well actually.
3: Okay some questions in Mary says could you please ask Peter we have a, a bottled bush tree. Yeah. Can we cut it back now as it's gone very wild thanking you
9: Bottle brush are one of these. They're Callistemon is what they are and they're native to New Zealand or Australia depending on, on which one you're growing. But um, they're one of these that you need to be a bit careful when you're pruning them back. They are evergreen. Um, they're, they're going to flower early in the year. So you have their flower buds, or really sorry, not early in the year, but early in the spring, spring summer. Um, so they have their flower buds on them already. So if you prune them now, you're going to, you're going to cut back or you're going to remove next year's flowers. But also... Um, I wouldn't recommend pruning them at the moment because we are coming into the the period of lower temperatures, so frost and that is going to be a risk. So when you cut something back, uh, you're encouraging a bit of new growth, and that's very, very tender and vulnerable new growth. So you don't want that coming into the frosty season. Rather do it at the end of the winter as we're coming into the spring. But what I would do is actually wait till the flowers are finished, um, probably be kind of the end of May, that kind of time, uh, and cut it back then. You can cut them back relatively hard. Just bear in mind that you, it is evergreen, so you do need to leave greenery on it to photosynthesize. So make sure that however hard you're cutting it back, you are leaving a certain amount of green foliage and green leaves still on the plant.
3: Okay, now there are a couple of people are asking the same question about hydrangeas. Is it okay to cut them back now? Somebody's more specific. Can I cut back hydrangea anabellas now?
9: Okay, so dealing with the other ones first. So very briefly the majority of what we will refer to as hydrangeas are these macrophyllas, which are either the the, the traditional mop heads or or lace cap uh, varieties. And and whether or not you cut them back now, I would actually, err on the side of waiting, wait till the winter is over. For the same reason as I was just talking about the bottle brush, Uh, leave the the spent flower blooms and all that on them. Because that that offers a bit of protection, a bit of a blanket to the inside of the plant from frost and snow. Uh, It just gives it that bit of protection. Now, you know, 9 years out of 10, or even 19 years out of 20, you're going to be safe enough if you cut it back now. But if we did get a very severe winter, it's no harm to, to leave that extra layer of protection on it. So I would wait maybe uh, early to mid-March before cutting them back. However, I'm saying that if you do do it now, it probably won't be the end of the world. Uh, as regards Annabelle, Annabelle then are a different type of hydrangea. They're hydrangea arborescens as opposed to the macrophyllas. So, uh, y- you treat them differently. You can cut them back to ground level and yes, you can do it now because pretty much, or when I say ground level, within a few, within six or eight inches of the ground. The macrophyllas, as we've often discussed uh, Trish, there's this peculiarity that you need to leave at least seven nodes on the stem, counting from the, the ground up or else that plant won't flower next year. That's not the case with the Annabelle, so don't worry about that.
3: Okay, is it too late to replant a tree to a different location in the garden? Says Moray, now that's...
9: It, it's not, okay. it's not too late. It's not too late. It's the opposite. It's a bit too early. We're just coming into the season now for moving stuff. So, the time you want to move stuff is at the, the dormant time of the year in the garden when everything's beginning to go to sleep, which is only around now because the temperatures up to this week were, were as we know, up mm-hmm. to, you know, hitting 20 degrees during November. It's only now that the temperatures are dropping. So, it's only now that we do a lot of that winter work. work. So, when you're moving a, an established tree or shrub in the garden, if you like, the, the longer it's there, the higher the risk of failure, unfortunately. So in other words, if I planted something last year and I want to move it, then the, the chances are very, very high it'll survive. But if it's been in there 10 or 20 years, the chances are very, very low that it will survive, or they, they lessen anyway. Um. But the time to do it is now get as much of a root ball out as you can and have its new home ready for it uh, first so that it's not any time out of the ground uh, and then kind of cross your fingers and hope for the best okay.
3: Hi could you ask Peter please why my holly tree leaves are going yellow it is full of berries but the leaves have started to go yellow
9: It could be just hungry so it could be just lacking in, in a bit of nitrogen so even feeding with some iron or magnesium or something like that could, could drive it on could green it up however and without seeing it it's hard to say but it could be symptomatic of a fungal infection there's a holly I think it's holly leaf spot or leaf blight uh, that's been quite prevalent in Ireland for the last number of years and and what happens with the hollies is that they, they drop their leaves very dramatically uh, over a very short period of time but a lot of the time that, that starts with yellowing first so I hope it's not that, I hope it's just a, a feeding situation, try that in the first instance Um but yeah, if it's holly leaf, blight, if we, you'll see it drop all of these relatively quickly, uh, and then it's, it's time, I'm afraid, then for uh, some serious pruning, serious cutting back, and and feeding, and and treating with copper sulphate. But but try just a bit of magnesium um, or, or sulphate of iron, or even a bit of both first.
3: OK, because actually, funny enough, when you mention a holly tree, Nick, uh, who presents the programme after me in the afternoons, was only yesterday saying, do you remember the holly tree we planted here outside the radio station? It was campaigning, yes, campaign know, know, just saying how healthy and it's still very small, but just how healthy look, looking it is and the shine off the leaves are just magnificent. Here, yeah it's to great here. it's great listen we'll talk again uh, next week actually somebody is, is saying um, and we'll leave it until next week for advice on living Christmas trees and are you in favour of living Christmas trees and the ones that you bring indoors and could you talk about that next week and we, we will, will, of course, we will of make course. listen have a good week and we'll chat next Wednesday thanks, thanks Peter that is uh, Peter the dot com. can I catch you quickly just try and get to some texts that I didn't get to a number of listeners have been on about the lady who contacted us about the dog that is chained up in West the cockapoo um, with one saying yes that lady should definitely report us that poor dog went from being inside into the comfort of of, of the home to being turfed out in all weather conditions they shouldn't own a dog if they were going to do that to him i just think that it was absolutely cruel it seems a baby came into the house so they you know and people are nervous about having dogs around babies i i appreciate all of that and the, the person has come back to say i followed the advice and i've reported it i just hope something is done for that uh, poor dog okay and please keep us informed on the cavendish calendar catalogue sorry somebody said the Cavendish furniture catalogue it was pay weekly this was called buying on the never never. (laughs) Thank you for that. I used to get uh, stamps, green shield stamps in five star supermarket that then went on to become Quinsworth, now Tesco. I still have a working weighing scales. It's at least 50 years old and that's from Pat in uh, Toker. And Kilbehony Community Council are switching on their lights tomorrow night at 7pm. A local resident won a competition and won a 30 foot fully lit and decorated Christmas tree. Well done. Uh, Enjoy and have fun at that. Okay, I'm over time. I've got to leave it there. Thanks to John Paul to produce Snickers with you for the afternoon talkies. To today
2: on C103
0: with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. C M I G dot
6: Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
10: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.